The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. This morning, I'd like to share a story with you about a man that I grew up knowing very well and how the Lord pursued his heart and changed the way in which he responds. Archie grew up in the 40s and 50s in Montana, and he was, he was a bear of a man who was a gifted athlete. He excelled in baseball and football and even earned a scholarship to play at Montana State. But as, as Archie was growing up, he, he found himself surrounded by what you might call a rough crowd. And even as a college athlete, he, these individuals continued to hang around. and They were interested mostly in what Archie could do and not in, what Archie, in who Archie was. And what Archie could do was fight. And you see, Archie became a street fighter, a brawler. He became a vicious man who, by his own admission, looked forward to and enjoyed inflicting pain on others. Short-tempered, hot-blooded, and, and alone is what would have described Archie. And as you might expect with someone like this, it wasn't long before he had a run-in with the law, and he found himself serving some serious time in prison. And it was here that Archie ran into a fight that he couldn't win, and one he couldn't run from. You see, it was here that Archie received a Gideon's Bible. And while at first he, he scoffed at the idea of the Bible and ignored it because, in his understanding, if there was really a, a God out there, a good God, then there's no way that he, a good God, would love someone like Archie. Not if he really knew him, because Archie knew who he was. He knew what he had done to get him to that place. And so the pursuit began, and the Holy Spirit began pressing in on Archie, using the prison ministry to slowly push him into a corner that he couldn't escape. And Archie found himself turning to the middle of this book, into the Psalms, specifically Psalm 139, and it was in this scripture that the Holy Spirit, by his grace, beat down and broke this terrifying, strong man to tears because of what David records in this psalm and how David responds to the greatness of God. Now, this morning, I'm not going to ask you to put yourself in Archie's shoes, but I will ask you to be honest with yourself. Be honest with the struggles and the burdens that you're carrying this morning. I will ask that you, the best of your ability, to lay those down at the feet of our God and let these scriptures read over you and reveal the truth about our God. Psalm 139 is broken up into about four sections. In the first three, we're going to see David praising God for three of his immutable attributes. And in the last section, 
we're going to see David's response to God's righteousness. And while it may be kind of hard for us to understand at first glance, we're going to see how David's response is mirrored in Archie's life. So as we begin, my hope is that as we read through these scriptures, that we are reminded about who the greatness of our king, and that in that greatness, our God still pursues us and still pursues men like Archie. Verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And we're going to stop right here because we need to look at the words that David uses. It says, God, you have searched me and you have known me. That is, God, you knew me before my eyes were open to you. And you knew me completely. And, and instead of walking away, God, you, you stayed and you pursued me. I want you to think about how powerful these words are when we are in the midst of our own struggles or our own prisons. Verse 2 says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up and you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Church, I think if we were to take these first four verses, and if our only understanding of a just and righteous God are these first four verses, I think, if we're honest, it'd be a little scary. Because like Archie, I know who I am. I know what I've done, the thoughts that I've thought, and the things that I've seen. And according to these scriptures, he knows He knows everything. But even in him knowing, he still is pursuing us. And while this is the beginning, it's going to get better. It says, verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. See, 5 and 6 David is expressing there, there's no escaping how much God knows about me. And the thought of that is just, I can't understand it. How does God know so much about someone like me? Well, church, it's because God's omniscience is perfectly complete. And it extends to the depths of who you are. You see, God's not just the God of the big, important things or the big, important people and then just has like a fuzzy understanding of who we are. God knows us fully and completely. And that knowledge is beyond our understanding. Church, we see in verses one through six that God knows you. He knows what you're carrying. He knows where you're struggling. God is pursuing you in the same way he pursued Archie in that cell. George, I want to just tell you the sins and struggles that we think, if we just keep them isolated over here, maybe I can fix them before God finds out. But he knows everything. And if you're asking yourself, how does he know? David's going to express it in the next verses. It says, Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? 
Or where shall I flee from your presence? David's starting to understand, I can't escape you, God. Maybe this is why you know so much about me. Verse 8, if I ascend to the heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol or death, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. David's saying, if I go as far east as I can or as far west, as far as high as I can or to the depths, I cannot escape you, God. 10 says, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. This is how God knows everything about us. God's with us every step we take. Now, that's really easy to say and to believe on a Sunday morning. We want God to know that we're here. We want him to know that we're at church and we're doing the right thing. But what about on Friday afternoon when that last conference call just won't end? What about your drive home when the third driver cuts you off? What about when we're sitting home alone in the dark and we find ourselves scrolling to that website? You know the one. Is God there? What about when we're in our prisons or are in prison, both figuratively and literally like it was for Archie? How often, church, do we fool ourselves into thinking that what we do in secret is actually secret? Church, God's omnipresence is not limited by our recognition, and it's not limited to Sundays. If any of you have ever been around small children, you've probably played the game peekaboo, where you you hide your face and then you surprise the infant. And to them, if they can't see you, you're not really there. But you don't really leave, do you? How many infants do we have watching this morning? Full-grown infants. I know that I'm one at times. Now, I would never say I consciously set out to be an infant in my out and the way that I act, but by my actions, I am. God, if you just can't see this area, you're not really there. If if you can't see my finances, you, you don't need to step in. If you don't need to see my struggles over here, I'll fix it first. But God never really leaves, does he? Church, I think about Archie in the cell as he's, reading through this and as he's wrestling through the truth that not only does God know him, but God's been with him every step of the way. Every fight he's ever been in, everything that he's seen and done, God has been there. But the Spirit is moving and is in pursuit. See, church, these verses could so easily be used to beat us down and keep us in bondage to let the enemy continue to to, to whisper into our ears, you're unfit for saving. 
But David has a response to this. In verse 13, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. See, David's saying, Not only, God, do you know me fully, not only have you been with me every step of the way, but God, you were there in the beginning. Before I was me, you were there. 14 says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some translations will say, remarkably or uniquely made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. See, David is saying, God, only you have the power to create something so complex as who I am. I've got things going on inside me I don't understand, but you've knit me together and you've made me unique. 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Church, you didn't just happen. You are not a mistake. See, God wove you together in the same way that Taylor fashions a suit with intent, purpose, and foreknowledge of who you would become. You see, a tailor doesn't just go and grab bolts of cloth and start sewing together. Hopes for the best. Man, I hope this turns into a suit. I hope it's the right color. I hope this fits the man that ordered it. You see, a tailor has intent and purpose, and his eyes do not drift from the task at hand. Church, you didn't just happen. Verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God, you fully knew I would be here this morning. Even before I took a breath, he knew and knows every possible outcome of every decision I could ever make, and he is pursuing 17 says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. David, you're saying, even if I begin to try to understand, God, just your thoughts on who I am, they outnumber the sand. And church, that is true for you and for me and for all of us. God knows Everything and the thoughts of that are beyond our comprehension. David even says, even, even when I wake up, God, I'm just amazed by the truth of who you are and how great you are. See, church, this whole section of the psalm, it proclaims God's power and glory from the intricate nature by which we are created with intent and purpose and uniquely even to the fact that he knows everything about the days before there was one. And as I imagine Archie sitting in this cell, reading these words, I can see the Holy Spirit just chipping away at the lies that he has for so long been shackled to. You're worthless. You're an unwanted mistake. There's no way a good God would care about someone like you. But church... 
God's omnipotence and his sovereignty is inescapable and it is fully displayed in our uniqueness. See, in each of these first three sections, David is proclaiming God's glory from the fact that he's with us always, or he knows everything about us in his omniscience, that he's with us every step of the way in his omnipresence, and that he has, with intent and purpose, made us unique through his sovereignty. And in all those things, in spite of God knowing everything there is to know us, he pushes and pursues us. Now, as we move into this last section, we're going to see how David responds to the greatness of God. And I'm going to admit, as you first read through this, it's going to be a little off. It's going to seem odd at first glance. And church, taken outside of the gospel, to take a step back, these first 18 verses can be damning. God knows everything about me? Yikes. God's been with me everywhere I've gone and seen everything I've put in front of my eyes. Oh, gross. God knows every choice I'm going to make, even the ones when I've lost my temper or I've had a rough day. Oh, man. But God pursues us. And that's what David is celebrating in these next verses. And it's what brought Archie and how his life changed are mirrored in these verses. David responds with a longing for righteousness. In verse 19, it says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred, and I count them my enemies. Now, <clears throat> David completely shifts gears here. He goes from praising God to what appears at first glance an intense desire for God to smite his enemies. This is a change that I'm sure for as believers, it's kind of hard for us to, to read and kind of Maybe we want to glance over. And, and to be honest, every sermon and study that I turned to in preparing for this morning did just that. But not us. So, to be clear, David here, he's not asking for God to smite David's enemies. He's not praying God destroy the Philistines. This isn't the prayer he prays on his way out to fight Goliath. You see, David here, he's so fully dialed in to the greatness of God that when someone offends God's honor, his immediate response is a desire for swift retribution. Charles Spurgeon, he put it this way. Of this hatred, that is David, he is not ashamed but he sets it forth as a virtue to which he would have the Lord bear testimony. Now, to love all men with benevolence is our duty, but to love any wicked man with complacency would be a crime. To hate a man for his own sake or for any evil done to us would be wrong. 
but to hate a man because he is the foe of all goodness and the enemy of all righteousness is nothing more nor less than an obligation. And hear this part, church. The more we love God, the more indignant shall we grow with those who refuse him their affections. See, this word hate that David is using here can absolutely mean to despise. But it can also mean to have a total rejection of or an unwillingness to be a part of an action. David so strongly opposes those set against God that he rejects them outright and is unwilling to even be associated with it. David is turning from his old self. And in that prison, Archie's heart was open to the truth of who God is. That he saw God fully knew him, everything he had done. God was fully present with him, even in that cell. And he had made him unique. And in the same way that David rejected the old self, and we see Archie beginning to turn. See, here, Archie, as his, great, as his faith grew more and more, he turned away from the old way of responding doing things. And my hope, church, is that that should be said of us, that the more we know our God and King, the more we fight against our old self. Church, our understanding of the greatness of God leads us in a pursuit of his righteousness and a rejection of our old self. Verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. David is echoing verse 1 here, where he had said, God, you have searched me and you have known me. Here he says, God, continue to search me. Continue to know me. I beg you. 24, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. These last two verses, we see David's understanding of sanctification. It says, it's a journey. He knows that the old self is wicked and crafty. And he begs our God, continue to search me. Continue to know me. And if you find anything in me amiss, God Please take my hand and lead me in a way that's everlasting. Church, this psalm has, it's had an impact on me since my freshman year in high school. And it's been a, it's been a balm to my soul in dark times, in the midst of deep depression, feelings of worthlessness, and incapable, and just struggles. It has been verse and a chapter that has lifted me up because God knows me and pursues me and loves me. And I'm going to ask you this morning, knowing now that God knows everything about you, that he's taken every step you've taken, that he's made you unique, and that he knew you before you were you, my question is, does that not lift you up? Does it not encourage you? And if it doesn't, 
Is it because you believe that your sins are so much greater than a murderer like David or a man like Archie? I want to ask that even now you just take a moment to look inwardly and ask yourself, why? Why do I feel weighed down and not lifted up? And if you're asking yourself that question and you'd like to speak to one of the elders or the the pastors here, I beg you to reach out to us. We would absolutely love to have a conversation and answer any questions we can with you. You can reach us um, at elders at stoneoakbible.com through email, or you can ask one of your community group leaders and they can get us in contact with you. We would love to have that conversation with you. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for scriptures such as Psalm 139. We thank you, God, for the reminder that even though you know us and you've been with us and you've seen everything that we've done, God, you pursue us. You don't move on past us. You don't try to find someone that's better or more clean, but God, you pursue us. I pray this morning for the men and women that are, that are listening or watching it today or future in the future, Father, that you would even in this moment take these words and just press them in on these men and women. God, that your omniscience knows us, your omnipresence, you're with us, and in your sovereignty, God, you made us unique and with a purpose. And then, God, in our pursuit of your righteousness, we will, as a people, turn from our old selves and fully look on you, God. God, I thank you that you are our God and that you have blessed us with your scriptures. Go with us this morning. It's in your name. Amen.